The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Time for another in our leadership series. He's a Canadian investment banker, a businessman, an investor, a philanthropist, and a cancer survivor. He spent three seasons on Dragon's Den, where he completed more than 60 deals on air. And I saw most of them and committed more than $4.5 million in final deals. Uh, We welcome back to the 630 Ched Airwaves this afternoon, Brett Wilson. Hi, Brett. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Hey, question for you, and it's it's got to be the obvious one off the top. With October 17th, uh, tomorrow, the legalization of cannabis, your thoughts on uh, the cannabis rollout uh, that's been underway and uh, maybe the business uh, aspect of it? Well, happy to talk about that. I thought we were going to talk about the Oilers and the Eskimos in the former city of Champion. go there. Let's go straight to cannabis. Stay in your lane. <laughs> I'm wearing elbow guards. But anyway, the, um, the cannabis rollout is absolutely a fascinating once-in-a-lifetime exposure for most of us. And I don't think anybody on this call was around when alcohol was went through prohibition. But here we are. And it's pretty interesting, pretty exciting. There's a lot of people nervous, a lot of people excited. I'm actually a big investor in the space. I was a cynic. I was opposed to it. I thought medical cannabis was a fake way of getting recreational cannabis into the hands of people pretending to be sick. That was three years ago. I've come around. My dog is on it. I'm on it. (laughs) Well, I did my homework is really what's changed. Yeah, my dog's on it too right now. We've seen, <laughs> we've seen some major improvements there. Do you think, you know, given that your mind has changed on this and that, you know, everyone's aware of the fact there's investment opportunities, is there any chance that this is another Bitcoin, though? I know there's money to be made here, but do you think there's as much money to be made as everyone seems to think there is? Well, it's been a moment, though, on Bitcoin. So Bitcoin or blog, Bitcoin was fake to me, always was. It was a currency play. It was nothing more than buying the U.S. dollar or the British pound or Bitcoin. It made no sense at all. The hype and excitement was irrational. It was the tulip craze of 1600. made no sense. Blockchain, which is the technology that allows Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies to work, blockchain makes sense. So if people separate in their thinking, blockchain versus Bitcoin. Now, going back to cannabis, some people say I got bought off because I invested no, I did my homework, and then I invested. I came around to believing that medical cannabis had legitimacy. Even if a lot of the research appears to be anecdotal, there's enough evidence, and certainly the Israelis and a few other countries have been way ahead of Canada and the U.S. in terms of doing research. And that's where I came to believe, and I fundamentally believe, that CBD oils relative to stress and anxiety and uh, intimacy and, uh, and pain there's a whole lot of benefits, and I'm completely comfortable with that. I don't. I use CBD oil to help me with sleep. I have zero interest in being baked, so I don't use the THCs. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's, that's an interesting distinction you just made, by the way, with Bitcoin. That was almost a light bulb moment for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we've had people try to explain yeah, it a zillion times on but, this But show. not the Bitcoin, yeah. just the, the idea, oh. invest in the technology but not the product mm-hmm. is, uh, wow, that's actually quite brilliant. I can see why you've done quite well. Well, <laughs> well I'm happy to rant on pretty well any topic, <laughs> that's, as you figured. That's why we wanted you on the show again. And well, we've been, it's been, it's been fantastic. We've been talking with this leadership that we, the leadership series that we've been doing, talking 
talking about leaders in all sorts of different areas, whether they're business leaders, sports leaders, uh, whatever they are. So if we can kind of, you know, narrow the focus just a little bit more down into that right now. Um, Curious to know, you know, you've been involved, what, with banking for more than 30 years, uh, energy, real estate, sports, entertainment opportunities, you name it, it seems that you've had your fingers uh, in there. What has appealed to you the most? Um, which, Which area has appealed to you the most or was it about making money? Well, a little bit. A little bit is about making money, and certainly um, there's been some investments that have been more fun than others. I mean, there's an element of cannabis, as you may know. I bought into the Nashville Predators when nobody thought yeah. Nashville could support a team. That's been extraordinary. Being part of that, and uh, and the whole run to the playoffs a few years ago, and uh, and all those things. That's been a lot of fun. But farmland in Saskatchewan has some appeal. Uh, <laughs> energy. I'm building a power plant. Uh, a wide range of things. So it's hard for me to pick one that I like the most, but I love working with people who have passion. My own expertise in most areas is relatively limited, but my ability to pick out partners has proven to be pretty good. And I've landed some extraordinary partners in real estate and in sports and in you know, all sorts of areas. And it's really the partnerships that I've developed that have made the difference for me. Let me ask the same question a different way. Sure. Keeping in mind that this is a leadership series. So being a leader in those very distinctly different industries, is there still one style of leadership that works for them all? Or do you have to adapt to the industry? That's actually a very good question because they're all very different. And in some cases, you know, I'm a I'm a 20% shareholder in a business, and I can influence outcomes through board meetings. And in other cases, I own 100%. What I say goes, but <laughs> I do my homework. And in fact, my staff are driven nuts by the amount of uh, material I ask for uh, before I make a decision. So very, very different strategies for very, very different businesses. But in all cases, again, it goes back to that concept of partnerships. I have people I enjoy working with. And when I was on the television show you hinted about earlier, one of the things that I think separated me from some of the other dragons was my focus on the the jockey rather than the horse. The jockey being the quarterback, the horse being the business plan, the business model, whatever it was. I really do invest in people because every business plan is wrong. Usually by the time it's signed on the last page, is there something wrong with it? So you have to be able to adapt. And people talk about, you know, you hit the fork in the road and you have to veer to the left or veer to the right. Unfortunately, in business, you often hit what I call the T intersection. You got to go hard right or hard left. And making those decisions um, with the right people makes it a whole lot easier. And that's really why I keep celebrating partnerships and the people I've invested in. Yeah, well, and you know what? Uh, we had Barb Stegman on the show yesterday from Seven Virtues. Um, <laughs> yep. She said to say hello. And yep. uh, we've had Rachel Melke on the show from uh, Hilberg & Burke uh, a couple of times. And they both talk about your mentoring abilities and how you have mentored them over the years and how valuable that has been to them. Who was that person for you? Oh, you know, I've had a number of what I would call role models to active mentors, but I'll, I'll name one who was an extraordinary role model for me. And since I knew him, I did get time with him, but it was a guy named Herb Sparrow. Herb was one of the first senators appointed from the battle, maybe the only senator appointed from the Battlefords in his mid-30s. And he owned the Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise. He had beachfront property and he farmland and he was a rancher and he ran the garbage trucks. And he 
was a gold miner, and he was just a fascinating role model as a community leader. He was a politician, and he was a businessman, and in many ways, as much as I greatly respect and love and admire my father as a father, uh, um, was also inspiring, and I really appreciated just being kind of in his shadow many times. Let me ask you this. When you lead an organization, does there come a day, and how are you able to recognize that day when you can no longer take the business any further? When, how do you know when to get out? What's your next question? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what now you went from a good question to a tough question. You know, that's probably one of the great challenges in the world of entrepreneurship is knowing when you're, when you're past your due date. And uh, I criticize more than a few politicians of being past their due date or best before. Just check out his Twitter account. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a bit of that. I'm not going to talk that right now. The biggest challenge in the the world of entrepreneurship is a succession planning one. And um, I'm certainly in the process of grooming my son who's working with me. Uh, He's focused heavily on the cannabis space, but it's been extraordinary what he's been able to do. And so I see, you know, again, my ability to transition some of that over the next five to 15 years is good. But in most of the businesses I'm involved with, we do have strategic conversations about, all right, if you got hit by a bus, you know, Barb Stegman, or if you got hit by a bus, Rachel Melke, what do we do with the business? Because those are two businesses that are highly dependent on the extraordinary entrepreneurs who run them. Um, you know, Barb talks about being the, the squeaky, the squeaky baby in the nursery, or the whiny baby in the nursery, and that's why she gets as much attention as she does. Rachel is almost the opposite mm-hmm. in terms of her approach: quiet, professional, does the homework, gets the job done. But in both cases, succession planning isn't me; it's someone else, and so we do talk about that. It's interesting. I want to talk about that and brand for a second. A good example out here would be ATB Financial and uh, Dave Mullet, who's just recently retired uh, as the CEO. ATB branded themselves around Dave Mullet, and successfully so. Uh, They gave the company a personality, and the personality was Dave's, and that trickled down. But at some point, Dave wants to retire, and Mm -hmm. suddenly you find yourself in a position of having to rebrand, when in my opinion, the real story of ATB is actually better. So how important is it, or how risky is it, to brand your company around its leader? Well, I had some experience in in a similar vein. When I was first involved with Dragon's Den, it was, um, I think it was Ben Mulrooney who said, how come you guys don't get branded? Why doesn't your banner actually say your name? And I realized at the time that CBC was doing everything they could to keep the Dragons from being a brand. They wanted Dragons to be known as Dragons. And still to this day, I get people looking at me going, aren't you that guy? Like, I want to get business cards that say that guy, because, yeah, I'm that guy. But there's a, there is a separation of church and state between the business and the leader. But sometimes they become inextricable. I had a really high profile running First Energy, but I did everything I could to make sure that my partners were front and center in all of our activities. You know, you can't separate, for example, Richard Branson from the word Virgin Airlines mm-hmm. or Virgin whatever. Those are inextricably linked. And so I'm not sure it's necessarily a mistake. And an organization that's government-owned, it kind of seems a little odd with hindsight. But, you know, I don't think there is a strategy to make Dave Mowat the face of uh, ATB. I think Dave Mowat just became the face. Why? Because he's very, 
very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very, very impressed with Dave. My exposure, my experiences with him when he ran the royalty review for the NDP a while ago, I looked at that and my conservative friends were all whining and crying and bitching and grumbling. And I said, just a minute, the one that was done under Stelmac was a disaster. Let's wait and see what happens. When you think about it, Moet, who has more exposure to the oil and gas industry than probably any other financial institution, wasn't going to do something stupid. It would be thoughtful, and it was. He did a great job. And so I, for one, was disappointed when he stepped down or said he was stepping down. Brett Brett Wilson joining us this afternoon as part of our leadership series. Brett, we need to uh, pay a couple of bills here. Can you hold uh, two minutes and we'll come right back to you? Absolutely. Awesome. Brett Wilson joining us this afternoon. Stick around. More to come. It's at 321 on the 630 Chat Afternoon News. It's Jayla Nye, Andrew Gross. Gross this afternoon. Uh, sorry, Andrew. Wow, we've only we've been working together, been four, together years. for four years. Been together for four years, but okay, sure. <laughs> the leadership uh, series continues this afternoon. Uh, Brett Wilson joining us. Uh, thanks for holding on during the commercials, Brett. Appreciate that. Um, question for you. you. You've been upfront and honest uh, with your struggles or with your, your battle, uh, your health scares over the past, I think, 12 years or so with a prostate cancer. Um, how is that? changed your outlook on the way that you do business and the way that you live your life? Did you have to find a better balance with it all? Well, you know, cancer round one, and actually uh, over time I've developed the thought that I'm a cancer graduate as opposed to a cancer survivor. For me, the word is empowering, and survivor kind of implies, and there's nothing wrong with it for those who choose it, but for me it implies that I just barely made it. I (laughs) crawled over the fence or I'm laying on the beach barely alive, and I'm not. Cancer round one may have saved my life. When I say saved my life, I was in a work-life spiral that was unhealthy. I didn't have a relationship with family, and I certainly didn't have a relationship with friends that uh, that I thought was that was a, my legacy, if you will. And so, cancer round one gave me permission to use um, a stronger term, but it was to say no mm. to anybody and everybody, whether it was clients or demands on my time. And Cancer Round 1 gave me uh, really the incentive to really focus on what was important for me at the time. It was building relationships with family and maintaining relationships with friends. Cancer Round 2 was an annoyance. (laughs) I uh, described myself as, you know, I got my bachelor's degree in 2001, and I had to go back and get my master's Mm. degree in 2014. And quite frankly, it's empowering to me say that if I have to, I'll go get my PhD if when, if and when necessary. So it's, it's partly attitude and partly knowing that I'm, uh, you know, I monitor. Unfortunately, I have a form of cancer that, you know, when it, once it's cycling in the body, you never get it completely out. So I do lots of holistic things. I do lots of lifestyle things to try and mitigate. Um, but I'm completely prepared to deal with it again if in the next five or ten years it shows up. Huh. Uh, you know, over the years, of course, no secret, you've uh, certainly been able to fill a bank account or two, but you've also filled a lot of karma banks. So mm. why is it so important to you to give back? I often describe charity as an opportunity. Sometimes people say that with wealth and power, big businesses have an obligation to give back. And I'm not going to argue the merits of obligation, but I will point out that when you look at things from the perspective of an opportunity, you take them on, you embrace them in a completely different way. And for me, the opportunity that we developed first in my first few businesses was to engage our clients, to engage our customers, and just as importantly, to engage our own staff. We developed some extraordinary friendships and relationships 
um, through using charity. And so we were shameless about the fact that, you know, we never ran an ad that you know, held a picture of an oversized check and, you know, saying, look at us, look at us. But we did do target marketing. Our clients knew that we were supporting them whenever they asked for help. We were there. In the 15 years I was at First Energy, we never once came on a client request or a staff request for support. Didn't always give them as much money as they were asking for, <laughs> but we were there for them. And that built friendships and built relationships. And I just don't see why anyone would question uh, the sanctity or the importance of that kind of opportunity. So that's why I really flip it around. There's groups called corporate social responsibility inside big organizations. I throw the word responsibility away. It's corporate social opportunity. Mm. Do you know what's interesting? Back in university, I took a course that I had to take at Dalhousie in Halifax. I didn't want to take it, and I thought it would be a waste of my time. Probably the best course I ever took. It was called Planning for Profit and Social Responsibility. Mm. And it was very, very interesting, just in terms of what a company needs to do and how they need to be involved in the community and how it actually benefits them to be involved in the community. Do you think there's courses on business, for example, that should be mandatory in schools? I happen to think that the collective study of three things should be blended in, and I'll use grade three, six, nine, and 12 as a metaphor for early education. And then I don't care if you're studying to be a lawyer or a welder. These three courses, I think, change people's lives. One is the study of marketing. Marketing is your point of differentiation, your first business plan, your first resume, some of the most important document or marketing documents you'll ever prepare, marketing. Number two is the study of entrepreneurship. And I don't mean the tools like how to be an accountant or uh, doing finance or HR, but looking at role models, whether it's Peter Pocklington uh, or Murray Edwards or the Richardsons and McKeans who are high-profile families, or people who just start real businesses, real corner stores, um, real startups, whatever it is. But study some of the real-life examples of people who do that. And the third and probably the most important leg of that three-legged stool is the study of philanthropy, understanding that strategic philanthropy can change the way you market and operate and run your business. And integration of all three of those to me is absolutely key. Brett, before we let you go, we end uh, all of the Leadership Series interviews with two questions, and we hope that you can uh, throw them out at us here. Uh, What was the uh, best day on the job so far, and what was the worst day? The best deal on Dragon's Day was unquestionably Rachel Milkey. When I met her on the show, she was doing 65,000 in sales. Kevin asked her if she was on a recreational drugs when she advised <laughs> that she wanted a value of $100,000. I said, yes. Here we are 10 years later, she's going to do 15 to $20 million in sales. So that's a real business. Her employees, 150 to 200 people uh, across Alberta and Saskatchewan. It's an extraordinary success story, maybe and, one of the best ever. And giving and back worst, to the community, and she's awesome. Yeah. Oh, she's amazing. Yep. And, and, and every level. And the worst... There was no worst business. There was a worst experience, and that was the loss. Uh, a friend of mine he became a friend. There was a business called Frog Box. A guy named Doug Burgoyne might have been one of the best pitches ever on Dragon's Den. He knew what he knew. He knew what he didn't know, and he was building out a business. Unfortunately, we lost him two or three later, two or three years later to cancer, mm. and that was really upsetting. So I would call that a low point at my uh, call it the Dragon's Den experiences. I'll bet it was. Uh, Brett Wilson, uh, it's just been such a pleasure to talk to you this afternoon. I feel inspired. 
<laughs> well, let's do it again in the next five to ten years. We will. <laughs> okay, thanks, Brett. Take care now. Appreciate the opportunity. Take care. Bye-bye. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.